Welcome to the Power Play Podcast, where international cricketer Kyron Powell and marketing genius Jordan Shannon join forces, bringing you captivating conversations with the biggest players in cricket and business. Join us as we dive into the lives of current stars in the cricketing world, the legends before them, and those extraordinary icons whose performances changed the game in both cricket and business. Exploring journeys both on and off the pitch, the boardroom, and everything in between. Get ready for an exhilarating blend of cricket, life, and business insights with two insatiably passionate, infuriatingly no-holds-barred hosts who, unfortunately for the rest of us, live and breathe this stuff for a living. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the Power Play Cup podcast. I'm joined, by, as always, by my co-host, Karen Powell, and we have a very special guest today. I'd like to welcome Otis Gibson to our podcast. How are you, Otis? I'm very good. Thanks, Jordan, and um, thanks for having me on. No, absolute, an absolute pleasure. Um, and yeah, can't wait to get started. I just want to get going, really, in terms of so where did where did your cricket start start from initially? Or your love for cricket? Um, oh, from a very young age. The time I was nine years old, I'd made a decision I wanted to be a cricketer. Um, oh. Back in the 80s, West Indies was the best team in the world. Um, Greenwich, Haynes, Lloyd, yeah. Marshall, Garner, Roberts, Holding, all of those guys were the Richards, Serbian. All of those guys were heroes to us growing up in that era. Um, yeah. And and coming from where I came from, you know, West cricket, you know, I discovered I had the talent for cricket at a very young age, and that was the thing that was going to get me out of my circumstances and take me to where I am now. You know, and look after myself, and my family, and it will be a similar story for a lot of other cricketers around that time. Even now, I suspect, you know. Yeah. So what? So how did where did you start? Start? What was your first team? Um, well, I started in the street first at, at uh, in my little village called Springhead. You know, we we had test matches in the street. Um, <laughs> you know, back in the eighties in Barbados, there was one television station that's not often brought cricket, but cricket was brought on the radio. Yeah, um, and you had to sort of like. Everybody would crawl around a radio and listen to cricket from Leeds or from from the Wacker in Australia or whatever, uh, and then we would we would listen to the cricket late at night before we went to school in the morning, and then when we come home from school in the afternoon, we would go and play a test match in the street outside the house, uh, and, and you know that 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 street would be would be Lords or Helenley or or like I said the Wacker or whatever, and that's where yeah. the love came from to be honest, you know, and then. Uh, I went to primary school. My primary school didn't have a cricket ground. We had a lot of good cricketers, but we didn't have a cricket ground. So we used to use uh, a club field in Orange Hill, St. James. Uh, I went to a primary school called St. Silas Primary School. Lots of people that have gone on to play some decent level cricket went to that school as well. Um, you know, so I, I ended up, we ended up, we would go to school and then we would have our games or what you call PE. We would have our PE yeah. at, at um, St. Silas uh, Cricket Club at the ground there, and that's where we that's where we um, we developed into we started to develop some skills into cricket. Um, and then I, I sort of so where we lived in Saint, in Springhead, we got relocated to a place called Cyan Hill, where myself and Passport Drakes grew up in the same street. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been a case a situation in, in international cricket where two people um, that are not related. Um, 
have played international cricket from literally from the same street. There are actually three people. Uh, there's myself, there's Basswood Drace and Ryan Hurley. We all grew up in the same street in, in Sion Hill, you know. And um, again, when we got to Sion Hill, they had a playing field right next. So I grew up there. There's, a, there's um, Avenue 1, Avenue 2. The playing field is in the middle of those two avenues. Basswood is in Avenue 1. I'm in Avenue 2. Wow. Um, and again, there's loads and loads of... Um, Test matches went on. Um, that, that was that was at Sion Hill playing field. Wow, very bit. can you tell us about that relationship with Vasi? Because obviously, I mean, I I know personally, but I mean, obviously, the viewers don't know. And you and Vasi sort of had lots of parallels in your career. Obviously, being yeah, yeah, yeah. same street, playing for Barbados, playing for West Indies, playing in South Africa, playing county cricket. Yeah. Um, look, our if, if you look at even if I think if you went and looked at our stats, they're very very similar. We were very similar cricketers, and what we did was we sort of polarized Sion Hill at the time because half the people like Bassi and think Bassi is gone, and half the people like me and they think that that I'm gone. And when we play against each other, it's like a little <laughs> mini war, you know. Um, but Bassi and I, we sort of grew up together we were good mates together then we, like everything else you fall out then you fall back in and so on and um but the one thing that we've always had with a, a, a real passion for cricket you know uh, so vasi vasi went to england first then i went to the club that he went to in england then i went to south africa before him then when i left south africa he he i recommended him to the club that i went to in south africa uh, at border um at Border Cricket Club in, in South Africa, in East London. Um, then he played county cricket together. I, we ended up playing for West Indies together in 95. I got picked on a tour before him, but he was playing for Sussex, I think, at the time. Right. Uh, Winston, Winston, Benjamin, Winston Benjamin left that tour. Winston Benjamin um, went home from that tour, but he got called up from Sussex. So we ended up playing for... I don't think we played an international game together, but we ended up being in the West Indies team at the same time together, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I, we're still good mates now, you know. Um, I spend a lot of time with his his son, Dominic, now, and, um, yeah. yeah, we're still good mates now. Oh, fantastic. In terms of, like, you, obviously, you mentioned their relationship, but who was, sort of who was the most instrumental person in terms of your, in, into getting into professional cricket? Um, wow. So, I, I've got a, I've got a best friend in Barbados called Henderson Brooms. Um, he, um, Paul might know him because he, he's a he's a chairman selectors. chairman selectors for Barbados, um, and we went to school at Ellerslie together. That's another story. At Ellerslie school is myself, Phil Wallace, and Sherwin Campbell. Uh, we all went to school. I'm older than them by a year, I think, and we all were at school at the same time, playing in the same school team. And then Sherwin and I got picked for West Indies together in '95 from Ellerslie school. Um, but Henry Brooms. I always tell people was uh, of all, all the cricketers in our era there uh, growing up at the same time, Henry Brooms to me was the best uh, of all of us. He had the best cricket brain. He could read the game because he came from a cricket family as well. You know, all of his uncles, uh, his brother, his uncle called Noel Brooms played for, for Barbados oh. and Noel Brooms, Noel Brooms used to be, you know, like nowadays when you have a test match and you would have a, a 12th man from, from some club or something. Every yeah. time West Indies yes. came to Barbados, Noel Brooms used to be the 12th man because he was literally the best fielder in Barbados at the time. Right. Um, but, but growing up at Ellerslie School and playing for Ellerslie and playing for for Barbados together and so on, even in under-19s, Handy Brooms was the best. He, 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 was the, he understood the game from a very young age. Um, 
he knew what he was doing with the ball from a very young age. He had, he had captaincy potential, so I'm not surprised now that he's he's um, he's chairman of selectors for Barbados and doing a great job. You know, so he's a guy that I, I can remember when I first started playing for Barbados. Um, my first couple of games playing for Barbados. Um, nerves would get you or whatever you'll be having a bad spell and yeah. um it's not like now where there's there's 10 people in the stands you know back then in 92 91 92 when i started kensington over used to be full for for first class game wow. you know so yeah. so but but then i walk in i'm walking back to my mark and i'm, I'm bowling i'm bowling rubbish to be honest and i'm walking back to my mark and i could hear henry Broom's voice over everybody else's voice my pick your knees up do this do that you know what i mean and yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was always he was always that sort of i think if he'd gone into coaching i, I suspect he'd also been a good coach um and he was always a guy that was better than us but i got lucky when i was um when i was young um when i made my debut michael marshall's bowling at the other end uh, and that guy was he was my he was my hero yeah uh and i learned so much from him and um and then i got to play with him uh played against him uh, when i was in south africa playing for border he was playing for natal so we ended up playing yeah. against each other um if he came to east london where we where border plays he would rather than stay in a hotel he would come and stay with me if i went to when i when i went to durban i would probably spend a lot of time in his his house and yeah we would sit around yeah sit around having a drink and, and just talking the game, you know? Um, yeah. and, and he, again, when, when we got into the Barbados, when I got into the Barbados team as a youngster, Sherwin Campbell, Phil Wallace was playing for Barbados at the time, Roland Holder, Sam Skeet. And we used to sit around and listen to Desmond Haynes was captain when I made my first in 91, Desmond Haynes was captain. We used to just sit around and listen to these guys talking, telling stories about playing in Australia, playing in England, playing in India, playing all over the world. Yeah. Uh, and you're thinking, you know, one day that's going to be me, you know. Um, yeah, so certainly Desi was a, a massive influence as well because he was so he was so open, um, so approachable. Right. You know, but Malcolm Marshall, Malcolm Marshall was, was, a, was certainly a hero of mine. Now, do, do you think about that playing for... Um Barbados and West Indies, was it sort of short-lived for you or did you sort of make a decision based on, I don't know, whatever factors to go and play in uh, South Africa and England? No, but you, you see, I, I played in South Africa before I played for West Indies. I played county cricket before I played for West Indies and um, I felt like, you know, I feel like I should have played more. I played two test matches and, and 15, 15 one-day internationals, but I felt like I could have played more, but at the time, the team was hard to pick. Uh, it was hard to get into. Marco was still playing. I know Marco had just finished, I think, in 95, but Ambrose, Walsh, Bishop, um, both Benjamins were still around. Um, Andy Cummings was trying to make the team as well. Tony Gray was still around. The team they had a lot of good fast bowlers, you know. Um, Hamish Anthony, all these guys were coming on the scene as well. They had a lot of good fast bowlers, and the team was hard to make at the time. And, and if you didn't, there was a period there where I thought, like, I... I because the way I look at things is um, um, after um, after Marshall finished, Ambrose and Walsh took over. I'm playing county cricket. I'm playing cricket in South Africa. I'm gaining all that experience and all that knowledge. So when Ambrose and Walsh is time, one of them, uh, when they finish, I feel like myself, Vasbert Drakes, who were playing in county cricket at the time, Cameron Cuffey, um, I felt like we would be able to step in and carry on what they were what they were doing, you know. But then you get to, you, you play two test matches, and then I picked up an injury in the 96 World Cup that ruled me out for a while. I had a, I ended up having surgery on a groin problem. Um, 
and then you get to, I mean, you will know what selection is like in the Caribbean. You sort of get to 28, 29, and you've, you've been, you feel like you've been around for a long time, but you haven't played. And then all these young guys, the Merv Dillons and those guys are coming up behind. And the selectors are like, hang on a minute, this guy's nearly 30 now and he's not played. So we, we'll move him on and we'll get somebody else, you know. And I feel like, I feel like this kick to generation, uh, of, of certainly of knowledge and experience, uh, I went to, went to Rayon King and Merv Dillon and those guys, um, a little too early in my opinion, um, you know, um, but, you know, I, when I was growing up in Springhead and you told me that I was going to play one match for the West, yeah. that would have been over yeah. the moon, you know. So to be able to play two test matches in 15 one-day internationals was, was a dream. Yeah. So do you think that there's, I guess, lack of mentorship in West Indies cricket, for example? Because for me, I, I just don't understand how you have the likes of Sir Garfield, Sobers, Sir Vivian Richards, all these guys still alive, um, may not be as active as they once were, may not be able to yeah. contribute on a daily basis, but you, you, you can't not have them involved. That's the way I look at it. I think that each of them mm-hmm. should be attached to West Indies cricket and all of these former players should be attached to regional franchises as well. Whether it's they come in and do something once a month, once a week, who's able, you know, whatever the case is, but because once once these guys pass, that knowledge is gone, and we're not going to be able to regain that knowledge as as West Indian cricketers. So I feel like we're missing a huge opportunity right now in terms of transfer of knowledge, where other countries have that sort of system. Um, I I think certainly there's a place for those guys. Um, you know, I can remember when I was in charge of West Indies cricket um, as a coach. I got Desmond in as a, as a, as a batting coach. I got Securely in as a bowling coach. I can remember we used to have camps at um, 3Ws in Barbados and I would get Sigari to come down and um, he doesn't have to go and throw balls in the nets, but he can sit and observe batsmen and then have conversations with them and so on and try to bridge that gap, you know. Um, I, I agree that, you know, there's a... There's always been a lack of mentorship in West Indies cricket. You know, you would have had it when you played. And even when I played, you know, I was lucky that I had Malcolm Marshall, Desmond Haynes, Gordon Greenwich. They were in the team when I made my debut for Barbados. So I've, I've got those guys to lean on. Um, you know, I can ask questions. I was always a very curious youngster uh, yeah. when it comes to when it comes to information. That's how I, uh, I, I got to where I got to because I was not afraid to ask a question, you know, and, and seek out relevant information that I felt like I needed to know to, to improve my um improve myself as a as a cricketer and, and as a person as well, you know. Um but I feel like um for for a long time we we haven't really utilized or maximized the resources that we have in the region. Um and, and therefore, you know, that's why we feel like we need to go overseas and find um, coaches and mentors and whatever, but but there's a lot of good resor- resources in the Caribbean that perhaps don't get utilised. Hmm. I I sort of wanted to ask you a little bit about the, you mentioned there about going to South Africa and, and county cricket. Mm-hmm. At, at that point, how what were the massive benefits that you felt that you take sorry that you took from going to South Africa and then playing in in England, especially county cricket? Because at that point there, mm-hmm. the overseas players there was there was, there was you know top, top international cricketers at that time. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, you see, the West Indies has always and still has fantastic talent. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and if you go back to even in the 60s and look at West Indies cricket, the best West Indies cricketers came to England and played, whether it be county cricket or certainly club cricket. You know, when I first came to England in 1990-91 to play league cricket in Bolton, every team in the Lancashire League had a West Indian. Yeah, uh, and, we, and we and 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 all of our best players, the same, all the names that I've mentioned before, always use England, whether it be county cricket or club cricket, as a finishing school. You know, Sigari yeah. and and um, West Hall and all these great players yeah. came to England at some point. Um, to, to two things, obviously, you you learn to play in different conditions yeah. and, and different opposition and so on. But but you you also get an experience that you wouldn't get in the Caribbean. You know. Um, um, you know, that the ECB um, 15 years ago probably changed the rules around overseas players, yeah. even in club cricket, and it's become a lot harder for people to come and play club cricket in England, which is a shame, I think. Um, you know, but for me, one of the biggest one of the biggest issues regarding our West Indies cricket is the fact that um, not many counties have West Indies overseas anymore. You yeah. know, again, in the 90s, West, uh, more, a lot of counties would have a West Indian overseas. The work on cricket is now where people can come in for two weeks and in and out and so on. It's, I'm a county coach now and it does my head yeah. in because it's not. No. I, I like, I like uh, you know, my wife would tell you I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. I want to know that if, if uh, Paul is coming to play for me, he's there for six months and we can build something. And I, that's that's how I like to operate, you know. And county cricket is not like that anymore, you know. The first year I was at Yorkshire, we had about six or seven different overseas over the course of the season. And it's hard to know how long a guy is here for. Is he invested in what we're trying to do as a project and stuff like that? Um, um, yeah, you know, but certainly with regards to West Indies cricket, um, one of the biggest... Um, factors for me is the skill is still the, the talent is still there in the West Indies um, you know I, I've been speaking to them for the four years that I was there I spoke about upgrading facilities you know you want people to go and compete against the best in the world uh, and you're giving them substandard facilities to practice in and then when you go to when you go to Australia or something if you go to um, Adelaide Oval the nets there the guys don't want to come out of the nets because it's a dream it's like you know it's like batting in your living room yeah, uh, you know, but the, you only get that when you go away from home. When you're practicing at home, one ball is at your ankles and one ball is at your head, and mm. you know the facilities aren't 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 where they need to be. Um, you know, 2007 when the World Cup came and everybody built fancy new stadiums, um, most people fail to recognize the importance of the practice facilities. You know, the practice facilities is probably more important than the playing facilities uh, for developing young cricketer. Um, you know, so and and that's still a problem in the Caribbean now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wanted to touch on you. Actually, it's quite a. You played for my Lancashire League team, Haslinden. Okay, great club, great people there. Yeah. So um, my best mate of mine, he 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 um, he played with you. He won the league in two thousand and three, and I think that I think when you you mentioned there about players. Um, coming into league cricket, the influence you've had on certain players who I've played with, it's like passed around on generations. And I think that mm. you mentioned there about, you know, rules being changed and stuff. It's a shame that yeah. more of these top players can't come in because the actual knock-on effect it has yeah. is massive for cricket just in general. We're not talking about in England. We're talking about in general. And, you know, you talk about you playing, you know, sharing changes with Mal Malcolm Marshall and the impact it had on you. You know, we want to be in a situation playing league cricket to have 
to share change rooms with players like yourself and yeah. the change just goes down because you just pass on that knowledge, pass on that knowledge, pass on that knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I just think that it's it's really important. No, but I I love my time at Hasenden because I that was in a period where I actually wasn't even playing cricket and then somebody said, we need a sub-pro for Hazzy. Can you come and sub-pro for a weekend? Yeah. And that one weekend ter- ended up turning into like half a season and I had a yeah. fantastic time there. And I think we ended up winning something that season as well. Yeah, you won the league. Um, some, of, some of my best experiences were, I, I played for, in 1999, I played for a club called... Um, League Cricket Club in in, in Staffordshire, North, North right. South, South, South Cheshire League. And I can remember, I think it was 99 was World Cup in England. Uh, and they had an overseas, uh, a Pakistani overseas. And um, as soon as the World Cup started, he somehow disappeared. Uh, and they managed to get hold of me somehow and said, look, we need somebody to come and play this week. And it's the same thing. I, I, I had stopped playing cricket because I stopped playing and went doing all my coaching badges and everything. Um, so they said, we need somebody for this week. And I turned up the one week and um, I played. And then it's like, are you available the next week? Which I, I would have been. So I said, yeah, I'm available the next. I ended up finishing that season. And then I ended up signing the next season for them. And playing, right. playing a, I ended up playing two or three, two and a half seasons, I think, of league cricket for them. And I got to tell you, that was some of the best times I had. And then the last season, I think maybe it was, out of the middle season or the last season, um, we ended up winning the Staffs Cup. We won the, we won, Everything that we played for, we won all. We did a treble. We was doing the treble before my United was doing the treble. <laughs> you know, and that was literally so funny. And I still keep in contact with some of those guys now. You know, yeah. we still have, um, we still have. Uh, every now and again, we will get on a, on a call and, and and reminisce about that season at league. You know, no, it, well, that's that important part. Important part of people's careers and yeah, well, you know, it's so influential, really influential. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Gibber, what got you into into coaching for life after cricket? Then, because I've I've never said this to you, but I I track a lot of things you do, and I think personally, from from my experiences, I think that you are one of the three best coaches I've had, and I think that you're the best fast bowling coach I've seen. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you why I said the fast bowling Thank coach you. in particular. The fast bowling coach in particular, if if someone could get lucky once, maybe twice. Mm. But I've watched you in England the first time. Jimmy Anderson went number one. You went to West Indies. Kimar Roach went number seven. You came back to England. Stuart Broad went number one. You went to South Africa. Rabada went number one. And then mm. you sort of laid a foundation for Bangladesh's um, fast bowling group. I even looked at Bangladesh last night. Corey Collimore's out there. I think he's a fantastic fast bowling coach too. Um, so what yeah. sort of got you into coaching? It's an interesting thing because, you know, like when I was still playing, um, I was always, like I said to you, from a young age, I was always curious. That's always been my nature. I want to find out things. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I used to read quite a bit, but then I sort of like, didn't, don't read as much as I used to, but I always will ask questions and try and find things out. So I was always curious about stuff. Uh, so while I was playing, I was I would get involved in coaching. Um, I would sit and watch you back in the nets as a teammate. Right. Or I would see, try and see how borders are trying to get you out. Um, and then I would say to you, do you know how these people are trying to get you out? 
Are you aware of this? Can you see the feel that they have? And that sort of stuff. Um, then when I went to South Africa, I started doing little bits of coaching, not with this first team, but I started doing a little bits of coaching with um, club teams and stuff like that. Um, when I played in England, I would go and work with, you know, on a Friday night, you got to go and coach the kids and so on. Uh, then I realized, you know, when it comes to coaching, when you're coaching kids, you have to be honest and you have to be really careful with the information you give. Yeah. You know, so I pay attention to the language and how I speak to kids and, and so on. And then in 19, uh, what was it, 99, I think it was, I went on a, I went on a level three course in England um, at Lillishaw. Um, and, I, and I would always say to any young, any young player, like, because this is what happened for me. This is my experience. I went on that course and I'm sitting there and I'm learning all these things and I'm thinking, because I'd stopped playing. And I said to him, geez, I wish I knew this stuff when I was playing, you yeah. know, for sure it would have made me better. Um, so from 1999 to 2003, 2004, I just did did my level three. Then I got a job with the ECB as a, um, I was a national, ECB had these coaches called national coaches, myself, Tim Boone, um, Andy Pick, Toby Radford, um, and there's a few other, Paul Farbers, uh, he was a national coach as well. And, and and we sort of ran his group cricket in our region, so the, the country was set up into regions. So I was in charge of cricket in the northwest. So that is coaching up to under sixteen, and then also doing running coaching courses. So I used to um, run. Uh, I used to lecture on coaching courses. I used to tutor. I used to do do an assessing on, on assessing on level three courses and stuff like that. And I'm learning all this stuff about myself and also about the game that I didn't even know because growing up in the Caribbean, like again. Your coaches aren't necessarily coaches. Your coaches have been great players. They're not coaches. Yeah. They don't understand how to relay the information in a way to help you, the player, to dissect it and, and, and digest it, I mean, sorry, and then learn from it. Um, they tell you what to do. You, 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 I can tell you stories about Sandy. You, you will know these stories yourself, working with Sandy, Andy Roberts uh, and stuff like that. They, will, they can tell you what to do, but when you ask them, uh, well, but how? What do you mean? Or he, back in my day, you couldn't even ask why. Nowadays, asking why is a relevant question for for a young player. Yeah. But back in my day, you couldn't even ask Andy why. You'll get sent out the nets if you ask him why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it seems like you're talking back to him by asking him yeah. a, a simple a simple why. You know. Yeah. Um, so I, so I went on this this level three in in um, ninety nine two thousand I think it was, and then did I and I did my level four two thousand. Um, 2002, 2003, I did my level four. Um, and then I got the opportunity to come back and play because I stopped for like three years, I think it was between 2000 to 2004. I stopped and I came back in 2004. Um, and, and, and I, and I just like applied all these things that I was learning in that period, 2000 to 2004, I was working in the, ECB Academy. Troy Cooley got me into fast bowling coaching. Right. Um, when Troy Cooley and uh, Rod Marsh took over the ECB Academy, myself and Kevin Shine were his first two disciples, let's say. You know, we were the first two guys that really he took under his wing and started to really, I, that's where I started to delve really deeper into fast bowling coaching. Um, went on uh, quite a few biomechanics workshops and so on to try to understand the mechanics of it. 
and language is an important too. You know how how you re, um, react, relate to people, uh, and and how people relate to yourself and 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 stuff like that. And um and that's how I got into it. Uh, but but fast bowling was always my my main thing. I was, you know, I still I still absolutely love it now. I'm a head coach now, but I still like. I think when I came back to West Indies, I said to the board, I don't need a fast bowling coach. I'll do that myself. That will, you know, sometimes you see coaches that they're the head coach. Uh, and of course, there's a lot that goes with being the head coach. But then sometimes you see the head coach just standing around for four hours or a next session, not really doing anything and talking to. And that's great. Um, but but I, I felt like, well, I still want to carry on being the bowling coach because I feel like at the time I was, I was, I was doing a really good job at developing borders, you know, and, and um, you can't win a test match or a first class match if you can't get 20 wickets. Uh, and I want to be able to impact on those guys to help them get 20 wickets to win the match. So I will always get Toby was, was the batting coach when I was in, uh, in, in South Africa, um, in the West Indies, sorry. Very good batting coach, Toby, I got to say. Um, but then I'll, I'll, manage, I'll manage the borders. Like I said, I was working with Broad and Anderson and all these guys. And you learn a lot of things from those guys as well, you know. And, and a lot of it is just how you, again, how you deal with people and how you manage people. I, I sort of want to ask you there about, you obviously working with the Kyron mentioned there, the players you've worked with. Yeah. What, what would you say is the constant trait that all those top bowlers have, not from a necessarily an ability-wise, but from a yeah. mental perspective and how their mind works? Oh, it's a difficult question because if you look at Broad and Anderson, for instance, the one thing yeah. is longevity because they, they played for a very long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you look at them now, both of them are still curious. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Broad is still trying to learn up to the back end of his career the last couple of years when people are saying he's finished, he's gone away, he's shortened his run up, uh, then he's adding skills, then he's adding an outswinger uh, at this late stage in his life. Jimmy Anderson, the same thing. I mean, Jimmy Anderson is absolutely phenomenal what he's doing at 40, 41. Yeah. Um, so, still getting it down at, still getting it down at um, above 80 miles an hour, still swinging it. Um, everybody said he had a bad ashes. If you look at this, if you look at the first test, and a lot of these things, you know, when you get to that stage, uh, you know, confidence is a big thing. Um, the game at, at Edgebaston in the second innings, Kawaja makes what did he get a hundred? I think Kawaja in yeah. the second innings. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Jimmy nicks him off um, in the pocket, and, and Johnny doesn't go for the catch. Yeah. You know, remember Johnny, Johnny, Johnny left one. If he yeah. catches, if he catches that ball, what happens to Jimmy's confidence? And suddenly the series could be a very different series for him. You know, um, and that's the way it goes. But but those, those guys, fantastically talented, um, but curious, curious, wants to learn, want to improve. Uh, very very competitive, very competitive. One of the things that I pass on to every fast bowler that that I work with that Michael Marshall pass on to me when the game is on the line you, you you have to be bowling you know the best bowler have to be bowling um, West Indies played South Africa in the test match uh, in 1992 the first test match after readmission uh, and South Africa has got the West Indies on the ropes I don't know if you can remember the game um, but West Indies South Africa need I don't know 80 runs on the last day to win and uh, and Desmond Hayes, Richie's captain, and Desmond Hayes says, "Listen, um, 
I don't know if it was Desmond Hayes that said it, but somebody said, this is a story that Desmond Hayes relayed to me. He said, listen, um, whether we win or lose, uh, we're going to win or lose with Ambrose and Walsh. These are our two best bowlers. They must bowl every ball until the game is finished. You know, Ambrose and Walsh bowl out South Africa in the, in the, in the last morning. You know, uh, I, I won the test match for West Indies. So when the game is on the line, your best yeah. bowlers have to stand up. And when you look at their careers, when you look at Anderson's career, when you look at Jimmy's career, the, um, I mean, Brody's career, the, the impact that they've had on games when it looked like England are, are behind the eight ball, those guys who step up all the time, you know, and that, that's what you need from your best players. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, Gibber, what are your, your I guess, future plans on, on coaching? Because you've got a hell of a resume so far. You've won a, a World Cup already. You've South, you've coached mm. South Africa. You've been in Bangladesh, England, obviously at Yorkshire. Now. What do you see for yourself going forward? Um, I, I want to I want to get it right at Yorkshire. Uh, we've had two tough years. Um, you know, last year we're having a really good season, and then halfway through the season we get forty eight points taken away, and that just took this that that just took the wing the wind out of everybody's sails. You know, we had a real opportunity to 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 get promoted because uh, the first year I came we got we got demoted into the second division. Um, and that that sort of points deduction just took the wind out of us. Um, and we, you know, we've gone and looked at it, and we thought we, we looked at everything that happened. Uh, had we not lost the forty-eight points, we would have ended up in, in third place. Uh, so you look at the, the the sort of mental aspect of losing those points in the middle of the season as well. Um, you know, we, there's a strong possibility that we could have gone straight back up. You know, it didn't happen for us, but. You know, from the time I came, I spoke to Darren Goff, who's the director of cricket, and I said, look, it's not going to be a one-year situation or two years. It might take three, four, five years. And, and I want to get it right here uh, before before we I think about anything else. You know, I feel like um, Yorkshire is a massive club. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm very, I'm very, even in these tough circumstances, I'm still very, very uh, honoured to be the head coach at you know, when I get it, I live in Chesley Street and, uh, and I don't drive down to Headley every day. Um, but when you, you know, like, there are a lot of people that get out to the bed and they have to go to work. And, oh, Jesus, I've got to go to work. I hate it. When I get up in my bed and, I, and I'm driving, I think I'm going to drive to Headley. Remember, I listened to I listened to Marshall yeah. bowling with a broken hand, taking wickets at Headley. Um, it's an iconic venue. And to think that you are the, the head coach of the team at an iconic venue like this is a, is, a, is an absolute privilege. You know what I mean? So I, I really enjoy that. Uh, and we got, a, we got a good young team now. We got some very good young players. Um, you know, sometimes in county cricket, when you look at your when you look at your roster and you look at um, Root and Bearstow and Milan and Brook, um, last year we had Willie, and you look at all these guys and you think, well, we got a phenomenal squad. Um, you know, but then you think, you know, the way for international cricket is, you don't even see some of these guys. Last year we had Johnny for a number of games only because he was rehabbing from his injuries. You know, as soon as he gets back and he, and he gets fit, uh, we don't see him again, and that's fine. That's international cricket. Those guys' aspirations, they've, they've, they've sort of reached their aspirations in terms of using county cricket to play international cricket, you know. And, and um, um, you know, so I think this year we might have Joe for for a bit because Joe said he's not going to 
yeah. he's not going to the IPL this year, so we're going to have him for a bit. And we, you know, I certainly, from my point of view, I can't wait to have him around so that our young guys can see what the how the best batsman in the world carries himself. You know how he how he how he prepares and stuff like that. So it's going to be it's going to be amazing to have him at the start of the year. In terms from a coaching perspective, you mentioned before about how. Um, bringing overseas players in as and they've here for four weeks at a time, then they go and things. Um, how how does the how how is the coaching different from international cricket to county cricket, where you know you've got international wise, you've got a, a set group of players for a set period of time. Yeah, you, yeah. Into sort of like managing Joe Root coming back in or Bearstow coming back in or an overseas yeah. four weeks. How do you sort of try and plan all that in? If that makes sense. Oh, with great difficulty sometimes yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, again, sometimes you think you've got a guy and then at the last minute the ECB says, oh, this guy is resting. He's, he, because the, at the top end, you're managing people's workloads. Yeah. At my end, where we're trying to win games to try and get promoted or whatever, yeah. um, you know, you're going to have a guy this week, but you might not have him next week. Um, so when so now you've got to go to the guy that who's going to miss out and say, look, listen, unfortunately, this is a situation, yeah. but I need you to stay sharp because next week you might be straight back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, but the, the thing is for me, having those guys come and play is important for county cricket, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's important for young county cricketers. Uh, I got some young players at, at, at Yorkshire, that young batters. It's important for them to spend time around Joe Root, the likes of Joe Root and whatever. Um, when I f- so you mentioned there obviously about the importance of Joe Root coming back or players that's you know international players coming back into into county cricket you're saying how important that is yeah um, no no I think it's important for those guys not so much it's not even a case of giving back you know yeah international cricket is so is so like there's so much pressure around international cricket i always i always take all those senior guys i take them back to when they first started um or when they played on the 19s when they were just playing for fun with their mates and whatever because sometimes i and a lot of people will tell you sometimes international cricket is not fun yeah because there's so much pressure and you're not performing well and then you know you've got 20 guys in the media um picking apart your game and stuff like that and it's not fun so I always think go back to where you started, where you just played for fun. Uh, and I can remember when I first went to South Africa in ninety in two thousand and seventeen. Um, we were so South Africa played in England in sort of August. Um, then at the back end of September, they were playing a series against Bangladesh. So there's no cricket between that period. Um, Faf Duplessis was the was the captain, and I can remember saying. So there was one series of of some four four day games um, to be played, and I insisted on everybody playing um, that series of games before the before the series. And Faf is like, "Caught oh, you sure?" I'm like, well, I said, "Yeah, I think it's important that you go and play. This, there's no pressure there. There's that. There's hardly anybody watching anyway. You just go and because yeah. the best net is in the middle." Yeah. You know, I can throw balls to you in the net, but it's not the same as you going and spending two, three hours in the middle um, with the field set and bowlers trying to get you out and so on. So I said, everybody must go and play, you know. Then he went and played. He got runs. Uh, Hashim Amla got runs. Aidan Markham got runs. Dean Elga got runs. And then when we played against Bangladesh in Potterstrom in the first game, we got like 600. Guys got, 
guy's got loads of runs, you know, and I didn't, I can remember having a conversation afterwards with him and he said, you know, of course, that was literally like the best, that was the best decision ever because I went there to play and there's no pressure. Yeah. You know, as soon as, soon as the test starts, there's 10 cameras around the ground and suddenly there's a different game now. Uh, and if you're not, and if you're not in a great place mentally, or you, you, you know, your game is not in a great place technically, and you nick off the first over or something, and selling the commentators are saying, well, you know, he's been out of form for a year now. This is his, this is, his, you know, he's made five knots in his last ten innings or whatever, and the pressure is ramped up. But when you can go back to, I always, even when I was playing, uh, I always loved going back and playing club cricket. Um, yeah. When I played first class cricket, I always loved going back and playing for my club. In Barbados and stuff like that, because it's it's just I so in a sense it's back to basics cricket, you know what I mean without yeah. the pressure and it, and it's great fun. It's really funny you should say that because last week me and Kyron were discussing about Josh Butler, and we were saying yeah. that, you know the best thing for him might be at this moment in time is a little bit of a break, you know. Yeah, for sure. Just for to, sure, yeah. You know the volume of cricket he's played. He's come from that straight from the World Cup to India. He's now, you know, in the West Indies, and maybe he just needs yeah. a break, a bit of time with family, because, you know, cricket and traveling around the world, the importance of family is, is is probably a massive part of helping you, and you know, and helping your performance. Yeah. So, like, keeping you mentally in the right frame of mind. Absolutely, and and I think the way I look at cricket now, like, cricket has become such a, it's just such a different game, and and everything revolves around money. Yeah. Um, like I said before about all these different franchise tournaments all over the world now every month there's a different tournament somewhere Yeah. you know uh, as a county coach you see it because somebody wants the NOC to go here to go there to go yeah. some, everywhere and the ICC has to get a hold of it otherwise it's just going to become worse um, you know but at the same time look at it look at this right? imagine this uh, West Indies and it happened in 2012 exactly the same way Australia wins the World Cup just now in uh, two, uh, two, month, two months ago in, in India. Absolutely unbelievable situation um, because India is playing the best cricket you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they look like they're going to win it. The Aussies win the World Cup. Like, I follow the NBA and all this sort of stuff. You win the World Cup or you win the World Series or so on, everybody goes back. There's a celebration. If, if if a team, if my United wins the Champions League, they come back the next day. There's a right. you know parade through the streets or whatever. Yeah. Australia wins the World Cup. What happens? Half the team goes home. Half the team stays in India because there's a white a, a, a three match T20 series. Yeah. Is is that three match T20 series absolutely necessary, or is that just to fill a gap to, to to create some more revenue for for whether it be the BCCI or or, or cricket Australia. It's not. It's not necessary. Then you see Maxwell there, and Maxwell would rather be anywhere else in the world, but there right now, he, he'd rather be yeah. home with his family yeah. celebrating just winning the World Cup. And what an amazing achievement! But yeah. nobody's been yeah. able to celebrate that achievement. The Aussies didn't go home and celebrate, did they? They go home. No. Uh, half the team go home. Half the team stays in Australia, uh, in India, and then before you know it, when they get home, then there's a there's another series around the corner. So, um, but again. And that takes the fun out of it. That's why I'm saying there's, there's no fun. Um, yeah. You know, the same situation with Joss now. Joss had a, uh, the team had a tough World Cup. Um, they come home, they've got uh, a week and a half, then they go to the Caribbean. The other thing that, that frustrates me as a coach is 
Okay, they just had a terrible World Cup. They're going to the Caribbean to play a series. Um, they flew in three days before the first game. There's no warm-up games. No. You know what I mean? So you've, you've come back from the World Cup. Yes, everybody is tired, but now you're going to a different set of conditions. There's yeah. no there's no preparation. So there's no wonder that they lost the way they lost because um, they have to spend time getting to, getting used to the conditions. Um, 95, when I made when I got picked for West Indies to come to England on my first tour, we played 13 county games. Wow. The tour was the tour was the beginning of the beginning of May to the to the beginning of September. We six tests. We played three one day internationals. We played six test matches. We played thirteen county games in between all of the, all of those test matches and so on. Wow. We were here the whole we were here the whole summer. Right. Uh, when 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 Andy Flowers' team won in um, won the Ashes in Australia, yeah, they were there four, I think, either four or five weeks before the first test. Yeah, uh, because when they've done their research and 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 um, and and you research what do you need to do to win in Australia, two, two weeks isn't enough to acclimatize. Yeah. You know, so they went over there. They played four county games, four uh, state games before the first test. They played the first game in in um, in Brisbane, where the first test match is likely is going to be. Then they went off and they played in different parts of it. But they they acclimatizing all the time. They're getting up to speed. They're getting the sleeping patterns right and all of this. And then by the time they come back yeah. to Brisbane for the for the first test, they're ready to go. Then and then they ended up winning that series. You know, yeah. so when it comes to like that side of preparation nowadays there's none you know uh if you look even if you look at the world cup before the world cup where before england left to go to the world cup they played a series against new zealand and they won then they had a series against um against ireland and they rested all the players yeah they rested all the players and they played the b team yeah you know then then they go to india um and not everybody's where they want to be with the game you know And and then you look at the thing is, when you go to a tournament, there's two things you want from your team, especially your batsmen. You want your batsmen to be informed and confident. Yeah. You know? Uh, so you, you look at South Africa. South Africa had a lot of good info and India, informed batsmen and very confident. Quentin de Cox scored 400. You yeah. look at England. England got fantastic players as well, but there's nobody with any great form. And then suddenly everybody has lost confidence because you know, uh, you, you, you pick the team for the first test and you think, right, let's go and play. For the first game, sorry, let's go and play. Yeah. You lose. You made a good score against New, uh, New Zealand and then New Zealand knocked it off very easy. Then you panic and change the team. Yeah. Um, then you lose. Then you panic and change the team again. Then you lose and then you're in a vicious circle then. I suppose that's what that we mentioned there about the change of the team and you've twice you've mentioned, you know, in this past part we've been doing is confidence. Team mm. team must remove confidence within within that group yeah, of players because the fear yeah. of that uh, you know the ability of thinking I'm going to get dropped if I do this or that yeah. thing I think that you know constantly driving and giving people confidence if you're changing the team will have a massive impact. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it erodes your confidence, and everybody's looking over the shoulders, and uh, we don't know who's who's going to be playing, and and you feel like. You know, well, if I don't make runs, I'm going to get dropped. So now, sometimes then what happens is that the 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 the, the way you want to play go out the window. 
you might sit yeah. down as a team and say, all right, boys, this is how we're going to approach it. We're going to go hell for leather. We're playing basketball or whatever. We're taking the game to the opposition. Yeah. Um, but suddenly you think, well, Jesus, we just lost the game and we get and this guy got dropped. So, you know, if I don't make runs, I'm going to get dropped. So suddenly I'm going to make my runs first and then play the way they want me to play after. Yeah. You know, and and, and that takes away from what everybody is trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th I think yeah. How did you how do you sort of see the, the current situation with West with the West Indies at the minute? Um, to be honest, look, I mean, I, I'm still a West Indian and still a West Indies fan, but I don't really follow it as much as I used to. The, the, yeah. the one thing I I'm not sure about. Um, the one thing I'm not I don't like split coaches. Um, right, okay. that's, my, that's my thing I, I, I'm not a great believer in split coaches um, if if a coach whether it is Sami or whoever is, if you think that this guy is the best guy to do the job, give him the job uh, let him choose the support staff um, and then when there's a clash or whatever then we decide which is the most important place for me as a head coach to be, is it here with the one day side or over there with the test side? If the one day side is playing, if we got a World Cup next year, for instance, yeah, there's uh, a T20 World Cup next year. So if the test side is going to Bangladesh and uh, and the and the one day side have a, a T20s against England, obviously I'm going to try and be align myself to to the T20 side because we're we're building a team for the the T20 World Cup. So the, the series in Bangladesh, I, my trusted number two or whatever can go and take the team there. I don't think the other thing is I don't think that West Indies play enough cricket. Yeah, we've, we've uh, played that many times. Yeah, I don't think they play enough cricket to have two coaches. You know, um, Australia just won the World Cup. They've got one coach. Um, straight up, remember we just said we just said that five minutes ago. The team went the, the half the team went home and half the team stayed. Yeah. So the head the head coach went home. And spent some time with his family or whatever, and his number two stayed in um, stayed in India with the with the T Twenty side. When they come back to when they get back to Australia, now that they've started against Pakistan in Australia, he's had a couple of weeks off. He's fresh. He's ready to go. You know. And uh, yeah. But I, I I don't I don't believe in split coaches. I, I still think I watched a game like I was in Barbados last week. I saw the game. This young Matthew Ford looks a good player. Yeah. Um, Antonez Antonez looks a good player. So. The talent is. People ask me this question all the time, like this, like, and I feel like it, it's such a nonsense because they talk about like, oh, is everybody's going to basketball now and whatever. Basketball was always there. Basketball was there when I was playing. And what I say to people is, there's nobody that grew up, nobody playing in the NBA with the West Indian heritage that grew up in the West Indies and went to America and made it in basketball. Not that I know of. If you were born in America and your family, your family moved to America early, and you were born in America, you born into the basketball culture in America. Yes, you know what I mean. But nobody that like say I went to school with or whatever. I went to school with some good basketball players, and when I was young coming up, there were some good basketball players in in, in Barbados, and they went to the. Some guys got scholarships to go to um, go to school in America and play basketball. When they got there, they were playing in the C team. Yeah. Because yeah. because the culture, the basketball culture is so strong, right. you know. So basketball isn't taking anybody away from cricket like people keep trying to say all the time, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're still plagued with the same 
poor administration and those sort of things, poor community. Look at just just recently now there's poor communication around the Darren Bravo situation and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we're still plagued with those same things that we were plagued with 10, 15, 20 years ago. Nothing, nothing's changed. Uh, it doesn't seem that anything's changing around that situation. No. I sort of want, I wanted to ask you a little bit. We you mentioned at the very start of the pod about um, obviously representing West Indies in two Test matches. Do you do you look back at that at all? Where you, things could you could have done certain things differently at all? Or ultimately, do you have any regrets over it? Over certain things? I, I, no, I don't have any regrets over my career. Like I said to you, like if I had played one game, I'd have been yeah, um, I'd have been I'd have been proud of that. Um, I know that I could have played more, but again. There's certain things in in, in 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 cricket, especially because cricket you're relying on selection. Um, when it, when I look back at the times where I wasn't selected, it's not because I wasn't performing. I performed yeah. for Barbados. Most years I played for Barbados, I performed um, well well enough to get picked. Um, the selectors chose other people ahead of me, and that's you know there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. But I don't look back and think I wish I did this or I wish I did that yeah, or yeah. whatever. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I know that I could have played more. You know, I, I sat there as a, as a, as a West Indian cricketer when certain teams were picked, and I'm like, how, like, how did I not make that team? You know, and then I go and play cricket in South Africa and be the uh, MVP in in tournament in South Africa and can't get picked for West Indies. I come and play county cricket and get 60 wickets in a season and make 700 runs and still can't get picked for yeah. West Indies. So, so when I look back. My non-selection wasn't based on the fact that I wasn't performing. It was it was other factors, and and there's nothing you can do about that. But I don't look back and think that uh, I, I I don't I'm not the, the thing is in West Indies cricket. You know, there are a lot of people that end up being very bitter about um, yeah about the way things finish for them. I'm not one of those guys at all. You know, I, I'm a, I'm very um, appreciative to have played two Test matches and 15 One Day International. I played 15 games and I got. I, one game was rained out, so there's 14 completed games. I got 34 wickets in in 14 completed games and didn't get picked again. So it's not a performance issue. No. Do you think that, that you t- what you touched on there has, has played a massive part in the success you've had as a coach? So from a yeah. standing perspective of like, there's all certain yeah. things you can look after. The rest of it, you, you know, you can, yeah. you're in control of what you're in yeah. control of. Absolutely. And the other thing I look at it, and the way I look at it all the time, and, and I, my mom, me and my mom, we talk about this all the time, you know. Um, there are people that have gotten to where they are because of who they are, because of their name, yeah. you know. Uh, it, it, uh, and so that's not me in a sense. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm even explaining it right. You know what I mean? What I've done in the game, certainly, uh, with, especially with regards to my coaching and where I've gotten to, uh, isn't because of what I did for West Indies or whatever. It's because yeah. of me as a person, who I am as a person, how I speak to people, how I relate to people, um, how I sit pow down and have an honest conversation with him, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, so, th- like I said, I think I could have played a lot more for West Indies, but, but at the end of the day, like, I'm really proud of what I've done in my career, where my career has taken, from where I started, where I came from. Yeah, and a little place called Springhead to where I am now. You know, um, I, I I'm very I'm very proud of what I've done as a as a as a certainly as a player and and as a coach. And I'm still coaching, so there's still more to come. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Can, yeah, I, can I just 
ask you about this because I know you're an avid golfer and it seems to be the, the thing for cricketers <laughs> these days. What, what, yeah. what's, what's this whole golf thing about? Because Have you started I, yet? I have not started. My no, wife is trying to get me to start and I, I just don't understand why on an off day from standing in the sun 10 to 5 I should go yeah. into the same. No, but you see, this is the thing, right? And you're missing the point completely. And, and I, you, you know what? I was where you are when I was playing in South Africa. Uh, I was in Kimberley. Um, I was playing it for, for Greek Island West in Kimberley. And it's like 35, 36, 37 every day. And it's, the sun's hot. So we go to practice and I'd be like, geez, I can't wait to get out of this sun and go home. And all, every, all the guys that I was playing with would, would be going to the golf course. And I'm like, you know, what is this all about, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I remember we were we went on an away trip somewhere. And where we were staying, there was a um, there was a golf course and a driving range. So the guys were at the driving range, and I'm sitting there watching them hitting ball. I've never hit balls. Uh, you, you know, back growing up back in the day in Barbados, the Sandy Lane Golf Club, and that's it, and, you know, I can't get on Sandy Lane Golf. I can now, but back <laughs> then I can I couldn't get on Sandy. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, geez. I'm watching these guys hitting balls. And then the guys are like, yeah, give a go, come and have a go, come and have a go. And I'm like, nah, it's okay. I'm watching. Because that's how I You start to understand things about yourself. And that's how, that's how I learn. Yeah. Don't tell me how to do something. Show me how to do it once and I can do it. So I'm watching these guys. And then I picked up the guy. This guy was the best guy. A guy called Dion Price, fast bowler. He came over to play for Yorkshire um, in the in the, in the two thousands, and he was crunching these balls. And then he gave me his seven iron, and all he did was show me the grip, show me how to grip the club. I was thirty years old at the time when I started, and I swung that seven iron and I hit it right in the screws. And they're like, you fucking, you like, you lying? How can you hit the ball like this? You said you never played before. I said, I swear to you, I never played before. So he said, try again, try again. So I put it down again. Bang, I hit this seven iron. And from then I was, the next week I went and bought a set of clubs. I was hooked. <laughs> uh, you know, and then I'm coaching West Indies and I said, I'm playing golf every minute I get. So I would cancel practices sometimes to go and play golf. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, Sam, you got to, Sam, Darren, Sammy, Sam, come, you got to come and play golf. You got to, nah, golf, nah, coach, I ain't got no time for no golf, sun too hot and whatever. <laughs> now, Darren, Sammy, now that if you follow him on Instagram and so on, he can't get enough of the game, but he's playing well at them. I played with him last week in Barbados. He's he, playing, he's playing well, he's playing well at the moment. He plays every day. He won an OECS championship from yes, two months yes. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was he, in St. He's, yeah. he's telling me now he's a, he's a, um, he's a national player in two sport. He's a two sport national player. He represented St. Lucia in golf and cricket. So, yeah. but he, he absolutely loves it. So, but now, a lot more of the guys are playing. And you'll play eventually. You're just wasting time. You'll, you'll get into it eventually. You'll see. So what, what would you say the benefits of okay, golf for a cricketer? Obviously, it takes you away, but yeah. are there any correlation yeah. between the string and stuff? Not, not so much. Not so much. Um, it helps. The thing is, it helps you to keep your head still, if anything. But, no, no. but the thing for me is a mental thing. It's just get away from the game, because especially at international level where there's so much pressure. Just get, a, get you away from cricket. And, and we go, on the, we go on, on the golf course. There's two things. We, we, we don't talk about cricket and we turn our phones off. Yeah. So, for four, so for four hours, it's just you with your mate 
playing golf, having a bit of fun. You might have a little five dollar bet on it or something just to just to increase the competitiveness in it or whatever. But um, but it just takes you away from the from the game a bit. Just takes your mind away from cricket. Absolutely fantastic. Like now um, at Yorkshire, everybody plays. Right. So when we go on, so when we go on some away trips or whatever, but the schedule is so tight. There's no, there's hardly any space. Um, you know, but anytime we get the opportunity, we get like there's half the, more than half the team going playing when we get the opportunity, um, and everybody loves it. Well, I just wanted to ask you a bit of a random question in terms of going back into something you mentioned there about um, split coaches. Yeah. Do you? I know Kyron's definitely mentioned this to me before in the past that he doesn't believe in red ball cricketers and white ball cricketers. Do you yeah. sort of agree with that statement in the fact that, it, you know, if you're a cricketer, you know, if you play, you're a good player, you're a good player, whether it be red ball or white ball? Yeah, I do because, you know, um, and I and I use and I use um, David Warner as an example. Warner came into cricket, um, T20 cricket. Then he played uh, 50 over cricket. Then people said he can't be a test cricketer and he's got a fantastic test record. He's just got another 160 um, yeah, yeah. this week in a test match. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I think, um, so when I look at West Indies cricket now, where West Indies cricket is, um, and I look at, <coughs> certainly with the 50 over team, um, that not maybe not the one now, but the one that didn't qualify for the for the World Cup. I think your best your best four day batsmen should be able to play fifty over cricket. Uh, might not might not be your best T Twenty players play Test cricket, but your best four day batsmen, your best Test batsmen should be able to play fifty over cricket. Yeah. So the fact that okay, you know. Um, the fact that England are picking the likes of Crawley and Duckett now, I, I love that because Crawley against Australia in a test series, the strike rate was 100. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so there's no reason why he can't bat in a 50 over game. Yeah. If he can score, if he can strike at 100 in a test match, you know, Duckett plays 360, there's no reason why Duckett can't be a good white ball player. And I'm sure he's going to be, but there's no yeah. reason why he can't be. You know, so I, I agree. I don't believe that, you know, you can only, you, some, some T20s, I, I think, is different. Right. Because uh, T20s requires a different skill. Um, but, but certainly 50 over cricket, um, your best test batsman, your best 4-day batsman, guys that make runs consistently well in 4-day cricket should be able to play 50 over cricket. Yeah. And then I sort of lead lead on to this, obviously, with your, your current situation at Yorkshire. So with, with you having the three formats that you play at the minute, how do you sort yeah. of go into this from a pre-season perspective leading into it? Do you sort of, how, sorry, how far in advance do you start your preparations for each specific? Form? Okay, so so um, with us at Yorkshire, we have, um, so in, in the winter like now, yeah. um, just Friday gone, just Friday, Thursday actually was our last day. We have a six-week block before Christmas, right? Uh, and that's mostly that's mostly strength and conditioning, right? That's mostly, mostly strength and conditioning. Our trainer is brilliant. We find different ways to get the guys training, and they don't even know they're getting fit. They would take him to a boxing gym, and some guy that trains boxers 
we'll we'll do some stuff with him or whatever. We yeah, get yeah. a we get a, a gymnast in or somebody like that to come in and break it up, you know. Yeah. Uh, the monotony the monotony of just training. Um, um, and and then we will do a little bit of cricket in that in that space as well. And then after Christmas, what we will have is white ball weeks and red ball weeks. Right. Okay. We'll have another six week block. So we might do two weeks of red ball where people are checking the you know the alignment and stuff like that and and then we will do some white a white ball week where it is just get the bowling machines up what's your hitting do you know exploring your hitting areas ramps one of the things that we're going to do a lot of this year is ramps because we don't we're not a very good team with hit flicking the ball over the short so we're going to do a right. lot of that this winter right. um, so that's all that's all planned already um, right and it's just a case of letting the guys really enjoy Christmas now, have a good Christmas break. Yeah. We start again on the second of second of January. Um and we'll start with two weeks of red ball cricket and right. then we'll have a week of white ball cricket and then we'll have another week of red ball cricket and then we'll finish with a week of um a white ball cricket and then that, that will take us to the middle of Feb. Right. Uh, so when ha- when it's half term, then we'll break up again for half term. Guys will have a week to go with their families and kids and whatever. Uh, then we come back in and we've got about a two week period before we go to Abu Dhabi for preseason. So that's all that's all set already. Right. Oh, cool. Interesting that, yeah. Cool. No, Gibber, I think it's been great yeah. having you on. I just wanted to do a quick fire. You don't have to give it too much thought. First thing that comes to your head, just four questions. Uh favorite ground to play at. Cape Town. Favorite food. Indian. If you could be a superhero, what would be your superpower? Oof. Ah, Jesus. Invisible man, probably. Favorite cricketer growing up? Malcolm Denzel Marshall. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there no, you thank, go. You. thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been really great listening to you. No problem at all. Um, I've seen some of the stuff you guys are doing. You guys are doing great work, so carry on. Oh, Keep going. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. So thank you very much. Smart, smart. smart. We all got to find things to do after cricket, don't we? Well, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm doing heavy stuff in the media at the moment, so. Yeah. No, that's good. I had a little stint on um, TNT last couple. Of, I did the first game on TNT and I really enjoyed it. I, I sort of like to get get into that side of things as well. I think maybe I have a face for radio more than TV, but still, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I would, I would, I'd love to get involved in, in a little bit more of that commentary, comments, giving comments and sharing your views on the game side of things. You know what I mean? I think That's that as, as players, we have obviously a different perspective on the game. Like yeah. Obviously a general, yeah. a general fan will watch the game and look at certain things where as players we look for different yeah. cues so it's it's different the way i guess we can feed back the game to, to yeah people. yeah yeah I'll let, it just, I'll I'll mean, let... it's, it's frustrating when you see to me i always find it frustrating when you have guys that have played and uh, and how harsh they are with a critique you yeah. know what i mean because it seems yeah. to me like they're forgetting how hard the game is yeah, yeah. Um, or or how much pressure there is are the mistakes uh, they would have made as players as well. Yeah, you know, so that 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 frustrates me. But 
Um, the, the other thing that I'm happy for you with, and I got to tell you this, because, you know, a lot of cricketers wait till they finish or get finished and then think about what next. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why right. when you guys ask me about coaching, I always knew from the time I was playing that that's the way I was going to go. I always wanted to stay in the game. So I always knew when I was doing my badges while I was playing. Yeah. You know, I was I was yeah. trying to do all those things alongside of playing so that when I played, and I was lucky when I finished playing for Durham in 2007, September, when the season finished, that same year, I got the call to come and go to with England to Sri Lanka. Right. So the season finished like the 24th of September. The 29th of September, we flew to Sri Lanka with, you know, I was a coach that same month. Yeah. After finishing, you know what I mean? I was an international coach that same month after finishing. And then it's just carried on from 2007 to now. You know, yeah. Well, I, I, like, I know Kyron mentioned there about getting into the commentary side of things, but I, the insight that I picked up just from listening to Kyron over the past 12 months, and obviously even with this episode with you, is people want to be listening to what professionals or former professionals know and their perspective. Yeah. Their perspective is, is more, you know, accurate in real life than, you know, yeah. do a commentary on it, for instance. So yeah, and I, and I and I feel like you know over the time, and and Karen will be able to tell you, um, you know, I, I feel like I've been uh, as as a coach, like I was as a player. Um, when I played, I gave honest effort. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I went to, I went out on the field and I gave honest effort. Uh, and I wanted to be involved in the game all the time. And I feel like as a coach, the, the one thing that you, the player wants from you is honesty. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. It, sometimes even if it's if it's difficult, they still want you to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Nobody, wa- nobody wants you to bullshit them or talk around with a, a situation. You know, they give you, give you straight. Uh, and I feel like over the course of time, I've, I've been that way. Uh, not everybody responds to honesty very well, but at least... You know, you you're true to yourself when it comes to that, and and that's what I've been able to do. I think with my coaching. No, definitely. Thank you. Like I said, thank you so much. Thoroughly, thoroughly. No problem. Thoroughly. No worries. Keep keep up the good work, Smack. Thanks, Gibbon. Good luck with right, the man. next season. And wishing you thank the you. best. Thank <laughs> you. Keep well. Cheers. 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 Thank cheers. you. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us on the Power Play podcast, hosted by Kyron Powell and Jordan Shannon. We hope you enjoyed this immersive dive into the world of cricket and business, exploring the unique experiences and perspectives of players past and present, alongside those invaluable insights into intriguing business themes that transcend beyond the boundaries of sporting heroics. Be sure to set your reminders on your Alexa or Google Home device. Or we won't tell anyone if you still use those paper calendar things from a bygone era. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue with scintillating minds on the Power Play podcast.